When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 23rd of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. With 684 COVID-19 patients in hospital and of those 126 people in ICU, the Chief Medical Officer says he is concerned. As the number of new cases rise, so too does the number of people in hospital. Dr Tony Houlihan says that for every 1,000 new cases, 20 to 20 five people will need hospital care and between two and three of those people will require critical care in ICU. Since June of this year, one in four people who had COVID-19 and required critical care in hospital died. Meanwhile, a mnemonic research poll shows almost 57% of us are reducing the number of people we plan to meet between now and Christmas. 45% of us have cancelled our plans for Christmas and the level of compliance with the digital COVID cert has increased by almost 10% to 85%. This morning the Cabinet meets to consider what further restrictions, if any, the government should bring into play. Subsidised antigen tests and support for businesses and out-of-work employees will also be under consideration. Pori Cribben is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of uh, the Vintners Federation of Ireland and joins us once again. Another uh, discussion about uncertainty and much uncertainty this morning, uh, Porik. Uh, a couple of things uh, you'll be hoping to hear from government, I'm sure. Yes, good morning, Michael. Yeah, it is, it's a, an uncertain time again. Uh, it is worrying for uh, the general community. Uh, it's worrying for businesses. And uh, it's certainly very worrying for those people who are sick in hospital. Um, one of the things uh, that we are seeing is that increase in the ICU numbers, which is uh, of, of significant um, uh, concern to everybody. Uh, and from a purely uh, business point of view, uh, it brings more uncertainty at a time that's very critical for our trade uh, in, in, in the pub trade and the general hospitality trade. The month of December is a very key month where you you put away some money to cover the barren months of January, February and into March. Uh, and it looks very much like as if that's not going to be possible this year because we're seeing significant cancellations of 
uh, Christmas parties, events and that kind of thing. So, mm. yeah, it's a bleak and worrying time. Absolutely. And uh, the government, uh, considering a, a number of things, if uh, there has to be renewed closures, uh, there's uh, talk uh, that the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, uh, the EWSS, uh, could be open to new entrants uh, and uh, that uh, should have closed, uh, I think, uh, this month. And uh, indeed, the CORSS uh, scheme may be paid into the new year. Yes, well, the EWSS, uh, the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, which was put in place to support the employment of people and indeed the employment of additional people, because all of the businesses, uh, you know, they've had to employ additional people to cover things like COVID checking, uh, um, uh, table service, additional cleaning, all that kind of thing. And that's due to change from uh, next week, from the 1st of December. Uh, The rates payable under that scheme are due to change. Now, they were announced in the budget on the 12th of uh, October, uh, and they were fine at the time in the context that Uh, The expectation on the 12th of October was that everything would be open as normal on the 22nd of October. But as we now know, that's not going to happen. So what we've been asking government to do is to um, retain the EWSS uh, as it currently is. At the two rates, that's 350 and 300 a week, isn't it? And it's due to go down to 203. It's 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 currently three fifty two or three and one hundred and fifty one fifty a week, and it's due to go down to two or three and and one hundred and fifty one fifty a week. So that's 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 where it's due to go to um, uh, next week. But right. we're we're we we need to see that retained. We need to see the rates waiver, the commercial rates waiver extended into 2022 and there needs to be another look at the the, the CRSS as well. And that'll be extended into the new year. Uh, How bad are the cancellations or how bad is uh, the drop in footfall? Uh, Are you seeing a a noticeable difference in line with those statistics uh, in uh, that survey for the Department of Health? Yeah, we're seeing a notice uh, last weekend. Uh, the weekend before last, we, we, we saw a decline. We saw a further decline in the weekend just gone out. There is a very noticeable change uh, in behaviour uh, by, by the public, uh, number one. And we're seeing very, very significant uh, cancellations of Christmas parties. Uh, um, the big corporate ones are almost all gone, and we're seeing reduction in the smaller ones as well. So it's, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a worrying time for everybody. Uh, you know, we have been very clear, Michael, since day one, that public health is paramount. Uh, but also, obviously, you know, there's public health, but then there's the the, the financial well-being, the mental well-being, the the anxiety that a lot of businesses are going through as well, and and that's equally a major worry for everybody. Right. Um, do you think there'll be a lockdown? Well, I don't think it's useful for somebody like me to be speculating there has been so much speculation over the last three four days Mm. a lot of it very wide of the mark and you know the one thing i've learned in the last 18 months and i've seen this speculation at times like this nobody knows is the answer right now Uh, government don't know never are meeting on thursday they will they will review the data that's available on thursday they will make recommendations to government but even government sources are saying look they don't see any decisions being made uh, on Thursday of this week. That's their expectation. But the bottom line is, despite all of the speculation, rumours that are out there, nobody knows. And uh, I'm included in that nobody. Mm. I don't know either. And uh, I take it that uh, if uh, people aren't socialising, if uh, they're not going out, if uh, they're not coming in, 
uh, to avail of your service that uh, regardless of whether there is a lockdown or or not, it's another Christmas uh, that's been destroyed for you and your members. Uh, The damage is done, Michael, at this point in time. Um, You know, as I said, the the footfall significantly decreased uh, over the weekend and over the previous weekend. Uh, the the expectation of full pubs coming up to Christmas, which we were all enthused about uh, back in uh, early to mid October, uh, is gone. Uh, and you know the uh, as I said earlier, it is a period of time that publicans and the hospitality trade rely on to see them through the bleak months of January and February. So, yeah, there there are very, very worrying times now and into the future. You've been accused, uh, I'm not sure if uh, you're aware of what was said in uh, the Shannon last week by Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles. Uh, he was speaking to the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin. Uh, but you've been accused of not representing your members in Meath because you were critical uh, of the midnight closure. Uh, and uh, that curfew that was put uh, on pubs and nightclubs and so on. Uh, and Shane Castles was saying uh, that the local vintners actually wanted it. Uh, well, of course, uh, if, if Shane happened to listen to what I actually said and if Shane happened to listen to what the CMO said yesterday, uh, what I actually said last week was that it would make no difference to the, um, it would make no difference to the public health scenario uh, and the CMO actually said yesterday that uh, that it would make no difference to the, but it, it was used to send the message. Mm. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, the people I was talking about was the late night industry. Uh, and Shane unfortunately didn't check the detail. Okay, well, he was speaking after the Taoiseach's visit uh, to Navin, and maybe we'll just hear a little bit of what Shane Castle said in the Shannon. 24 hours before those regulations announced, you met with a cross section of business people in Navin who spoke to you directly and told you that they wanted to see whatever needed to take place to make sure that they could continue to trade safely, were appreciative of the government support, and also, specifically, publicans who told you they actually agreed with the actual 12pm closing. And you wouldn't really understand that from the noise that comes from some of the representative bodies and actually shout, and one wonders if they listen to their own members. They want to see the country kept open. They want to see the regulations in place that allow them to do that. And I'm glad that you came and actually heard those messages directly from the people on the ground and that we will be able to actually deliver for those constituents of mine that you met. OK, Parnock Ribbon, uh, that's it from the horse's mouth as such. Yeah, I heard. I, I heard that, and of course, again, uh, uh, you, you know, politicians love uh, to rant off without sometimes having having uh, the detail. The, the actual there was one publican at that meeting. Uh, I spoke. The publican actually spoke to me. The publican is not a late night uh, operator, and of course, what we want is we actually want to uh, make sure that um, uh, businesses are kept open. We never actually said that there was a problem with the ordinary pubs and the 12 o'clock, op- and the 12 o'clock closing. It was with the late night industry. So this is where, you know, shouting to get uh, headlines is good. But, you know, we deal in detail. We deal in fact. Uh, and, and that's, that's uh, the issue that I've got to deal with rather than uh, looking for political headlines. Shame. Fair enough. I was talking to you, whatever it is now, a year and a half or two years ago, uh, about how long pubs uh, would be able to sustain this pressure. Uh, no sign of it letting up. No, and indeed, you know, the bottom line is we would not have been able to sustain any of this pressure without the government's support. We've been, we've been very clear in saying that uh, all along. 
uh, obviously there is tipping points for some uh, and uh, you know some will reach those tipping points uh, and you know it's, it's another winter it's another Christmas that will be lost and uh, unfortunately uh, that puts a lot of pressure on businesses it puts a lot of pressure on families it puts a lot of pressure on people working in the businesses and one of the major fallouts from this has been that a lot of the key employees in the industry see that it's no longer what they would say see as a reliable industry for 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 um, uh, jobs. Mm. So uh, we're losing we're losing very good staff to other industries, uh, and and that's a key concern as well as we hopefully will come to a recovery, whether that's uh, into the new year or whenever. Okay, Parik, we leave there for the moment, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's Parik Cribben, who's Chief Executive Officer of uh, the VFI. Let me bring you some of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us. Declan is in Dundalk and he says, people who have no work because of uh, the restrictions should receive the full pandemic payment as it's not their fault that they can't work. They need to be supported. Thank you indeed, uh, Declan. That may be the case. Uh, There is talk of extending uh, the PUP, uh, but uh, there is also talk of uh, people who are forced out of work again uh, to get another job because everybody's looking for staff, all of the shops and uh, all of that are all advertising, crying out for staff and aren't able to get them. Uh, Somebody else says uh, they think that the pubs will be closed from the 13th of December. I'm not sure why that is uh, the date that is being proposed. Uh, but uh, they could very well be right. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for your text. Patsy is in Carrick and he's been texting us uh, this morning as well and he says a train from Dublin to Westport was full with hardly anyone on it wearing a mask. He thought it was mandatory on public transport. It is, Patsy, absolutely, uh, as it is in shops and so on, but you don't always see people wearing masks, which is one of the reasons we are where we are uh, and we've all relaxed just a little bit too much and it just takes a little bit of relaxation uh, for this thing to catch hold it would seem. Tara has been in touch with us and Tara says nightclubs and large scale events should have been kept closed until after Christmas and the supports left in place for those working in those uh, clubs and nightclubs. We opened up too early, she said. It's as simple as that, and now we're paying the price for it. Meanwhile, Mary has been in touch, and Mary says the spiralling case numbers are a huge worry. She doesn't feel that people are really listening to the stay safe message coming from the government or the HSE anymore. She says she hates to admit it, but it's looking more and more likely that a short lockdown is the only solution if we want to break this current cycle. It's uh, the only way of making people take responsibility for their actions. Well, thank you to everybody who has been in touch with us so far today. Our lines will be open throughout the programme, of course, and as always, we'd love to hear from you. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's go to government buildings where our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, will be monitoring what comes out of uh, that meeting of uh, the Cabinet today. Good morning to you, Sean, and uh, thanks indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, there's a, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of big questions for the government to look at today. There is, yeah. Look, there's a lot going on, Michael, and it is uh, it's kind of been this dog hanging over us for the last few days. There's all the tone of last week and the rising cases and everyone thinking this is all heading one way and that one way is doom and gloom. The ministers yesterday did try to roll back on that a little bit and both tried to do Tony Hulahan, but also through the Taoiseach and through Minister Simon Harris in particular, who said that, look, this, this is not inevitable. You know, this whole idea that we're, we're headed for a lockdown and it's guaranteed to happen, that is absolutely 
uh, not the case. A lot of the cases that are supposed to happen in December haven't happened yet that are forecast. And that we can do this and we can kind of, you know, roll things back. You know, mm. Feeling around government buildings is on the balance of probability. Some more restrictions are probably going to be likely. But you do see evidence that people are kind of taking responsibility into their own hands as well. And that has good and, and bad points. Obviously, people are cancelling their plans, they're yep. cancelling Christmas parties, cancelling dinners, all that kind of stuff. And more research for the Department of Health showed yesterday that uh, 15%, or sorry, 57% rather, of people surveyed were uh, limiting the number of people that they contact and that more than 40% had already cancelled plans. So that mm. may have an impact on the, on the spread of cases. Of course, the knock-on effect is then on businesses and people who are relying on yeah. those, that, that business coming into the Christmas period, many of whom haven't been able to trade properly. For most of the last 20 months, last night there was a meeting of the Cabinet Subcommittee on Economic Reform. It was kind of touted before the meeting that there would be some decision on extending the wage subsidy scheme, which is uh, due to see a rate drop on the 1st of December, and that the crisp payments for those hospitality sectors might be brought back um, to really account for the business that's been lost indirectly. They haven't been shut but they have been curfewed and they've been limited. Uh, in the end, no such decision was made. Ministers noted that they applied to the hospitality sector, but kind of adopted a bit of a wait-and-see approach. They'll just see what Nefford recommends on Thursday, see how the next few weeks pans out, and then revisit it. But that would probably be quite tough listening for anyone this morning who's managing a business and who's maybe getting those calls to say we're cancelling big parties. Yeah, nearly all the corporate Christmas parties have been cancelled. Uh, we heard that a, a few moments ago from Pora Kribinov, the BFI, and if uh, that is uh, the case, I suppose he and others are wondering uh, what would be the difference, realistically speaking, uh, in terms of Christmas trade, because already it is uh, another write-off as such. Yeah, and look, you're hearing it around um, Dublin City as well. You're hearing it in all the cities, really, that the, the amount of traffic has reduced now with the work from home. I listened to taxi drivers this morning who were saying their business has gone overnight, even though there isn't any sort of a new restriction. People are just being more cautious and, and taking this tone from the government to mean that they should really limit their contacts and should cancel plans. I think not, not, people aren't totally holding themselves up yet, but I mean, I'm sure you know it among your own friend group, Michael, the same with myself, you hear people saying, well, actually, I'm not going to do the four or five things I had planned, I'm going to do two or three of those, and I'm going to really clamp it down before seeing family in Christmas. So the only, the only difference, really, is that a lot of the supports that were there last Christmas or when these businesses were fully shut are not there now. Uh, and the pub payments, for example, for anyone who co- happens to lose their job in the next while, that's also not there, that's closed to new applicants. You're, you're, you're kind of out on your ear a little bit. So that is something the government's definitely going to be under pressure on, I think, in the dawn mm. day when it resumes, particularly from Sinn Féin and throughout the week, that if the de facto restrictions, despite they're not being actual restrictions, and um, if they are having this kind of impact, then the response needs to kick in very quickly. Now, I suppose there's a, a question of affordability at this stage as well, Sean. There's, there is. I mean, look, we've, we've <laughs> racked up mm. a fairly hefty bill over the last um, two years. Now, what the government will say is we haven't hesitated to spend before. If we need to spend again, we'll do it. There was a contingency fund put aside in the budget for COVID measures. There's one you would assume if things continue to get to uh, deteriorate, will have to be uh, cracked into. But that was a fund that was meant to be for 2022. You have to remember all of the whatever is going to happen in January and the year beyond. So they're trying to keep it as much as possible into this year's finances. But if we do go back to that, and if we do go back to layoffs, I mean, the, the amount of people on pop has been reduced down to, I think, about 60,000 people claiming last week from a high of 600,000 people. If you go back to ramping that up again, it's, it's going to make a big difference. Of course it will, yeah. And then there's the cost of antigen tests. They're not going to be free, uh, but they are going to be subsidised, it would seem. Well, they are, but that memo has actually been pulled from the Cabinet agenda today. Uh, late last night, they just couldn't quite 
get it over the line and Minister Raymond Ryan saying this morning a little bit more detail would be needed and we've been waiting on this obviously for, for quite a while for a number of weeks we've been told it was close the plan as I understand it is to mainly focus the rollout of subsidised antigen testing on pharmacies hmm. they will cost between 2 and 3 euro per test the thinking there being that, look, if they're giving them out in pharmacies, you know, the people in there will have a bit of a better knowledge on how to use them, will be able to instruct the customers a bit better, make sure you're not taking it if you're symptomatic. You, If you're symptomatic, you go for a PCR test, you don't do an antigen. Here's how to stick it up your nose properly, and here's how far you... Yeah, they're not the happen. easiest of things to do, um, to carry out one of these tests. They're not. It's hard to know... Mm if you're sticking it in your nose far enough or certainly yeah. anyone's I've done you know you kind of try and go back as far as you can but you never quite get that same feeling you do when you've gone for a PCR when they just get it right up there so you, you know you kind of think you're doing it right but you're never 100% sure and there definitely is concerns among the chief medical officer in particular who's long been opposed to the widespread use mm. of antigen tests because of this false security that it might give people even if they're using it wrong so it's an issue once they've gone against them but now we're not going to see that substitution probably until at least the end of this week, maybe the start of next week. Um, and uh, from what my understanding of it is, the delay is that other retailers came in and said, well, actually, we want to be in on this from mm. the get-go rather than just So you should be able to go down to the newsagent and buy one uh, and they would be subsidised as well, I take it? Yeah, or go down mm. to Lidl or go down to Tesco yeah. or wherever okay, you do yeah. and pick them up. And, and could it I not mean, be rolled out in phases or have they just said it's easier just to hold off? Well, I think they were the uh, temptation was to do it in phases. So you'd mm. start with pharmacies and then you'd spread it out. But what, whatever came to them yesterday evening in terms of the retailers, they decided, look, we're going to hold back on the whole thing and maybe do it somewhat differently because it would be a little bit of a nonsense. It would be bad for business for them if you could get it for two euro in the pharmacy, but you had to pay seven euro test down at the shop. Right. Uh, is there any division in the way uh, the different ministers are thinking going into this uh, meeting of uh, the cabinet today? Are there hawks and doves, uh, some uh, who are more inclined to favour a lockdown and others uh, who are totally opposed? Uh, not that I can pick up as mm. yes. I think the only thing that they're united on is that they don't want to go back to a full lockdown. But mm. there isn't a consensus or there isn't even emerging parties in what should be done next. You know, it's, it's still a little bit early for that. They're kind of waiting to see what way the restrictions that they've announced last week unfolds. And I know a lot of people were saying, well, the hospitality thing mightn't do much, and it mightn't do much, the curfew for 12 o'clock, but working from home should do quite a bit or could potentially do quite a bit. And they're going to see what Netflix says on Thursday to see how bad it is. They, they really don't want to roll back on anything as much as possible. Certainly the priorities will be keeping the schools open and keeping education open. And I think if anyone, if they the sort of Damocles is hanging over anyone, it's probably the hospitality sector. But at mm. the same time, there is that recognition among ministers. Some ministers in particular, like Lee, you know, Leo Varadkar, certainly doesn't want to see any rollback uh, on, on businesses being open, for example. So it, it, it's a very mixed bag, and yeah. there, no one I spoke to has any sort of certainty, and I want to see it this way or that way. Okay. You don't expect any announcements today, or do you? No, not not no, today. No, okay. there would there be a general discussion, a general update on where we are from uh, the Minister for Health. There's going to be a couple of other uh, decently sized things. The Cabinet of the Commission on Housing uh, going to be announced, for example, there's a big energy project, a combination of ESB and Quilche for uh, 1.5 billion euro of onshore wind energy. So there's things like that was the announcement on, but in terms of COVID, it's very much, let's see what Neffet says on Thursday. If there's a big kind of panicked Nefit letter on Thursday, we could see another, maybe an incorporeal or another meeting on Friday, but the, the more sense is that if anything is coming, it'll be at Cabinet next Tuesday. Okay. 
Thanks very much, Sean, as always, for joining us today. That's our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Now, let me get more comments to you today. Liz has been on the phone. Liz is in Drogheda and she says, if there has to be more restrictions, let's do it and get it over with. Uh, if we have to do that to curb uh, this latest wave, well... Uh, perhaps uh, we'll uh, manage to spend Christmas with our, our families uh, the way we weren't able to last year. I suppose it's uh, biting the bullet uh, that Liz is suggesting. Thanks for your call, by the way, Liz. Thanks to Karen as well. Karen is in trim and Karen says, I think it would be a very interesting exercise if there was a breakdown of those who are vaccinated and got COVID as to which vaccine they were given. There were four different vaccines given, but nobody is saying of those who are infected, which one they got. Is there more people catching the virus who were given a certain vaccine over the other? I think it would be good if those percentages were available, as we could see possibly which vaccines worked the best against the virus. Thanks uh, very much uh, for that, Karen. Uh, I think it's a very interesting question, actually, that you ask, and I think it would be very interesting to see the details. Uh, It seems as though uh, of the four vaccines, three of them give you protection for six months uh, and that you should feel safe for the six months. Uh, But of the four different types of vaccines, uh, there's obviously questions over the Janssen vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's the one-shot vaccine that people would have received. And the reason for that is that it was one shot, it seems, and people didn't get their second shot because it was a one-shot vaccine, which meant that the effectiveness of it uh, was nowhere near as long in terms of the other three, probably as good for the while that it lasted. But in America, uh, the uh, authorities there are saying uh, that after two months, uh, you should consider yourself to be no longer vaccinated if you got a shot of the Janssen, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's, uh, I think that's where they're saying three months, uh, whereas six months for everywhere else. And that's why uh, they're going to offer boosters to people who got uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in this country after three months and to other people who got the other vaccines after six months. Uh, and it is maybe a false sense of security that people have feeling that they're fully vaccinated uh, when the vaccine has probably worn off at this stage. Uh, it's uh, possibly a part of the problem that we're experiencing now as well. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Karen, uh, for your call and indeed uh, that suggestion. I'm not sure if we can get any information uh, on uh, the data that you're talking about, uh, but we will look into that. And maybe uh, the Department of Health has that kind of information that they can share with us. But thanks for your call, as I say. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, even in Austria, uh, they may have gone back into a full lockdown, but the schools remain open and uh, that is uh, the priority for the government there and indeed here. But there is a lot of concern about COVID in the schools for students and indeed teachers. Let's speak uh, to the principal of School Nave Fekin in Terman Fekin, Brian Collins, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Brian, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Uh, you've seen the impact of COVID on students and indeed on teachers and indeed on trying to find substitutes when teachers are out because of COVID. And you were so concerned uh, that you decided to do your own survey of what was happening across uh, local schools. You surveyed some 42 primary schools to see what was happening there. Tell us what you discovered. 
Uh, good morning, Michael, and uh, thanks a million for having me on. It's, uh, it's something, yeah, that is, um, it's a heightening crisis here, uh, particularly here in the northeast. And as you said there, we, we did carry out our own, um, our own kind of localised sur- survey uh, over the last um, f- a few months. We've been, we've been taking readings. Uh, that combined with the, the INTO uh, nationwide survey yesterday, you know, the, mm. it just makes, it makes for, um, for very stark reading. Certainly in our own, we have a, a very active primary um, IPPN primary principles network and support group in, in the Drogheda area, which covers uh, schools in uh, Laud and the East Meath region and uh, we at the end of september september we were we were getting very concerned because we were, were all uh, experiencing a severe uh, shortage of uh, substitutes and we were struggling at even at that time uh, finding uh, substitutes to take uh, classes when uh, teachers were absent unavoidably due to covid related reasons mm. so um Anyway, we, uh, one of my colleagues, Idelny Vrin, who's the principal in Skolengasa in, in Drogheda, um, took, uh, took it on herself to, to devise a survey, and we put that out to the 64, um, the 64 schools in, in our n- network. And uh, when the results came back, it, it, uh, it really was a massive cause for concern. Um, we found that, uh, well, first of all, the... Um, the number of absences was the first thing that struck us. There were very, very uh, increased number of absences among teachers, uh, largely due to um, being uh, infected with COVID or having to restrict their movements. Then, you know, just in a nutshell, let's say there were 60, on any given day, there were 60 absences to be covered. We were struggling to find sub 30 substitute teachers for those absences. Okay. So that meant there were 30 uh, teaching days in our schools that we had nobody to bring in to cover a class, so, which meant then, Michael, uh, principals, if they were available, would take a class or classes, uh, special ed teachers, which isn't obviously an ideal situation because you don't want to deprive children with additional learning needs of any time, uh, were, were forced to take a class. And uh, we've come to a situation now where because of the, of the increasing infection levels in schools, we may actually run out of teachers. So that's mm. what I'm extremely worried about now. So you're talking about around 30 out of 65 teachers, uh, there was yeah. cover for them. So you're talking uh, about half. Uh, and that was that was in September. Uh, it's a lot worse since then. Uh, yeah. And uh, it would seem as though locally uh, there's been better success in finding substitutes uh, than there has been nationally. Uh, that uh, INTO survey that you spoke about uh, showed uh, that 31.36 of uh, the days were not covered. Yeah, and th- that is across the country. I know uh, they ha- there was a, there was a, a return uh, rate of about twenty five percent for that INTO survey yesterday or uh, over the last week. Uh, but it is uh, you know some counties are are, are, are worse affected than others. Mm. But like we're kind of just looking at the local picture here. We have a, we have a fairly highly densely populated uh, area where certainly in th- we've we've got the biggest town in the country, Dundalk, and then. The, 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 the schools around or sorry to Drogheda, the schools around Drogheda then have very very high numbers of pupils and uh, it's 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 going to be a massive problem for us between now and, and the Christmas break because the situation is getting worse there are more children who are contracting the virus there is there's between 15 and 20 percent I'd say on average uh, uh, the number of uh, or the, the the rate of absenteeism among pupils every day. So let's say in a school where there are ten class teachers, if you have two or three 
of those class teachers out as we had here last week and you've only got a principal and a special ed teacher who covers the third class where are we you know yeah. needless to say there's no there's going to be no sub available yeah um, okay uh, and we've had no tracking and tracing up until last week uh, the government moved to change that uh, are you satisfied with the changes or do you even understand them actually um we haven't been told officially uh, we there, there was uh, first i heard of it to be honest with you michael was on the news as mm. as is the <laughs> seems to be the, the the way we hear about a lot of things uh, then we did get some uh, information from uh, from the uh, from the department of education but we haven't got the 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 full details yet of how it's going to work and it is you know anything that that helps uh, restrict the transmission of the virus is very very welcome uh, but it was i think very premature at the end of september for uh, for the department to uh, pull the uh, testing and tracing, uh, I think you know it was that was done too soon um, because you know it, since then there has been a three hundred percent increase in the incidence. Yeah, and, and that's no accident. And you sound very frustrated. Do you think schools need a circuit breaker, as they call it, especially given? The surge in cases, uh, the fact that we've such a large population who are not vaccinated and who are not wearing masks. Uh, would it be an idea to close the schools early for Christmas? Listen, no, nobody, nobody here in our school or in any of the schools in, in our area wants to have another school closure. That is not something. The, the, the school closures uh, over the last 18 months were very necessary, but nobody enjoyed them. The, 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 everybody suffered. So it's not something that, you know, I certainly would be proposing, but I, there are other things that could help. And I know, the, like, I'm not here to, to criticise the performance of the minister, where I think she has, you know, she has had uh, some shortcomings in the way she's reacted to different situations. But there are, there are and she, in fairness to her, there are things she has introduced, like the, the, uh, the extra uh, teachers on supply panels, that's certainly a good thing, and she's uh, there are another number of measures that she's introduced as well. But uh, there's you know a certain amount of little too little too late. But you know there will be one thing I think that would help is that the final year students in the in the colleges of education they're coming up to their last few months before they're fully qualified. They will spend a good bit of that time on teaching practice. I think that would certainly alleviate the substitute problem to some degree if they were allowed out into the schools to actually work as subs. They would be doing that anyway in their teaching practice. Mm. And I think that would, you know, if you could release five, six, seven hundred student teachers, almost fully qualified at this stage, that would be one suggestion, one concrete suggestion that the minister must look at and mm. you know rather than looking again at a school closure okay okay but what about controlling the disease uh, i mean are you concerned that there's children in your classrooms uh, that have covid or are close contacts with somebody who has the disease yeah obviously that's that's been an ongoing concern for mm. us for the last year and a half and because in certainly in the early days there didn't seem to be much of an incidence among among children now thankfully the children who contract the virus by and large, they have very mild symptoms, somewhat no symptoms at all. And that's, you know, why it's, it's, it's a bit scary at the moment, because you have a class of 30 children. You have two or three that are absent, maybe one or two that may have uh, be at home because they, they have contracted the virus. You, you could well have two, three, four, five, six children sitting in the classroom who are asymptomatic. Uh, you don't know that, they're, that, they're, that they, you know, could be 
uh, transmitting the virus in the classroom. You have a teacher there in that classroom with the, 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 the other children every day. So it, it's, it's a very, you know, silent um, threat, you know, and uh, I think certainly the, the, the measures that will come into place next Monday will help, but it will also, it's a mixed blessing really, because it will also result in more absenteeism mm. uh, because of the, you know, the contract, contact tracing uh, uh, which will be involved in that. Okay. Uh, we have to leave it there, Brian. Good to talk to you and thank you for talking to us. Not at all. Thank all you right. indeed. That's Thanks Brian Collins, who's uh, the principal of Skullnave Fecken in Termin Fecken. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, thanks uh, to Mike, who's uh, been texting uh, the programme uh, today. Mike is uh, in Drogheda and he says, I'm fully vaccinated, but these figures are worrying. I think most of us are worried uh, to some degree at this stage. Mike, I suppose the best thing we can do is try to remember all of uh, the basics uh, and to keep our distance uh, from people and to wear our masks and do all those things, whether we're vaccinated or not, and then maybe not think about it too much otherwise. Uh, but uh, there is a, a lot of reason for concern. Uh, thanks uh, for your text. Uh, I think a, a lot of people uh, are feeling that way today. Somebody else saying, why is it uh, that people are going on about this cabinet meeting today? It's a nothing event regarding COVID and restrictions. They won't move on anything before they're forced by nephid and even then they'll probably try to resist it. Apart from all of that, we don't see the effects of last week's announcement yet. So why would they make any decisions today? I guess it's because of how the numbers are increasing all the while and indeed how they will continue to increase over the course of uh, the next week or so at least. Uh, another caller in touch saying, I'd like to know how many of uh, the people who've died in this fourth wave are over the age of 65. Thank you as well uh, for your text to the programme if you have been in touch with us uh, today. Thanks uh, for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Indeed, uh, COVID uh, is uh, one of uh, the issues that will be discussed by government today and it's because of uh, those soaring figures and it's because we need to get back to the basics and to remember how this virus spreads. Uh, And that's mixing in the home, mixing in any environment. And the more dense that mixing is, the more intense that that mixing is, and the more that mixing happens in a situation where people are not taking precautions or in poorly ventilated circumstances or spending a long time with large crowds in indoor spaces, we've said it, we keep saying it, that is still a high-risk undertaking, particularly in a situation where you have low vaccine coverage um, um, uh, and where you have existing high incidence at community level. So each and every country, and Maria has just said it, needs to take a step back, needs to look at the epidemiologic situation they're facing, needs to do a deep dive on who exactly is vaccinated, and as Maria said, who exactly is not vaccinated, who are the unvaccinated. Because if you have a significant number of individuals in your community who remain unvaccinated, who are at high risk of disease, and you have intense community transmission, your health system will begin to come under pressure. There are a number of ways to try and avoid that scenario. Boosting vaccination and in terms of numbers of people who are vaccinated with two doses of the, of the two-dose vaccines, a dose of the single vaccine in high-risk areas that we've spoken before um, about the use of uh, third doses or booster doses in people with immunocompromised and people with very, very high risk of disease. That's Executive uh, Director of uh, the World Health Organization, Dr. Mike Ryan, speaking in Geneva. Now, This Christmas uh, will, like most Christmases, be 
harder for some than it will be for others. And every year, uh, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul tries to help people who have uh, problems facing some of uh, the costs associated with Christmas. But this year, they expect that they will get more calls for help than ever before. Let's talk to Rose McGowan, who's National President of St. Vincent de Paul. Good morning to you, Rose. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, You're talking about maybe 200,000 people looking for help this year. Why is is that the case? Why is it the worst year in that sense ever from St. Vincent de Paul's perspective? Uh, Is it tied in with COVID? Yeah. um, First of all, 200,000 calls, and I suppose that's over... That's over the whole year, you know, and uh, some of those calls would be maybe second or third calls from people. Uh, yeah, um, a lot of it is tied up. I suppose the majority of it is tied up with COVID, you know. Mm. Um, people have lost jobs. People have taken pay cuts. And everything has increased. If you take the amount of energy increases, household bills, astronomical rents. It's just kind of a combination of everything, you know. Mm. It's one thing on top of another, in other words. It's one thing on top of another, you know, and if you're struggling on a social welfare payment or on low uh, salary, it's hard to keep everything going. And certainly during COVID hasn't helped. Uh, People weren't working, children weren't in school. um, and, And that brought added pressure. I mean, there's huge, huge stress as well as everything else um, and when you get up in the morning and think oh my god mm. can I pay my rent this week or will I pay the rent or will I make sure I pay part of the electricity bill or the gas bill or will I buy food and I mean for me um, who has been around a long time mm. to think that people are phoning in um, looking for food you know now I mean I just think in 2021, that's horrendous mm. in our country. You know that people are short of food. Yeah, um, well, it's hard. And as you say, Christmas is coming and um, Santa is coming. Mm. And Santa will come. Yeah. And uh, I do not fault. Look, as children are children and they have to, you know, experience mm. all of these things. So we would want to be there and we will be there and the volunteers are willing and they've been amazing and the staff throughout COVID, throughout this year and last year, we're still out and about now in smaller numbers because we've older members and we've stuck to uh, the government guidelines. Like we're certainly not in, we've never gone into people's houses. But what we have done is that we have some food banks and food depots around the place. Some of mm. us are delivering food. Uh, we're, we ring all anybody who uh, phones in, we ring back. Mm. And, um, you know, we either post out vouchers or those of us who are happy to deliver, to drop in stuff in envelopes mm. and are into letterboxes. We're doing that. And I'm told, you're, I'm, to, I'm told you're very good friends in St. Vincent de Paul with Santa and uh, that uh, you, can yeah. always, you can always remind Santa uh, about about uh, children if parents are concerned about them coming to their house. Oh, absolutely. Mm. We are we are here, and and I suppose that there's two messages from us. Mm. First of all, that we are here, and it is hard to come to Vincent de Paul, and I accept that. Uh, but we are here, and the volunteers and the staff are here, both to listen. Sometimes it's only about listening. Maybe it's about advising. But we are here, and the second, mm. I suppose, most important thing for us is. I mean, the, the 
the Irish people, they're just they're just amazing, the support they give to us. And without that support, we couldn't do the Santa things. We couldn't mm. do any of the other things. OK. Um, and you uh, undoubtedly would ask people to continue to support you or maybe support you for the first time. They can do it uh, in a variety of ways, online, by phone, by post, and the blue envelopes that people will be familiar with as well. Absolutely. And if people would like to buy gift vouchers, um, they're also online, or if they want to buy a gift voucher and post it into us, or some of the, I'm afraid to mention the shops, but look at everybody knows what shops people need to shop in for Christmas. So there's a, look at there's a variety of ways, and we're always, I suppose, um, we're creative in the Vincent Hall. So we make everything work. We make things work, and um, you know people will be looked after for Christmas. And I suppose uh, the important thing is that Christmas is a few days, and this is a Christmas appeal. However. Um, if the appeal is good, that helps us into the new year when people are struggling with bills because yeah. maybe they wouldn't have paid them before Christmas mm. in order to give their families a good Christmas and everybody is entitled to a good Christmas. Yeah, and of course the weather turned this week and uh, just at the time when uh, the cost That's of energy true. is on the increase. All right, Rose, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you indeed. Bye Rose bye. McGowan, National President of uh, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Let me give you uh, another comment uh, from a listener who's texting us uh, from Navin today saying, Mike, I wonder how the conspiracy idiots and those who refuse to get vaccinated are thinking now they've let the exhausted healthcare staff down. They've let their fellow citizens who did the right thing down, but they've let themselves down too. And I hope they feel proud of themselves now with the health system overwhelmed as a result of stupidity. Thank you indeed uh, to that caller in Navin with uh, that very strong opinion for us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the doll will be asked uh, later today to support a motion uh, which would significantly impact on the redress scheme uh, for survivors of mother and baby homes as it is uh, intended uh, by government. Uh, the motion is uh, tabled uh, by Sinn Féin's spokesperson on children, Kathleen Funchen, who's on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us as always on uh, the programme this morning. This is your motion, but you've cross-party support across the opposition. Yeah, we do, Michael. I just want to say thanks for covering this issue because it is really important, um, so we appreciate that. And we do have other opposition parties and independents as well that are supporting the motion. So basically, what we're hoping to achieve is a change to the redress scheme. And just to say, I suppose, it hasn't gone through like the full legislative process, so there is still opportunity to change that. Um, we're very unhappy about the fact that so many people have been excluded from this scheme. Mm. So, in fact, it will actually only cover 41% of women who were sent to these institutions and children who were born into them. So if you were a child born into a mother and baby institution and you stay there for less than six months, you're not entitled to the redress. And also, if the institution that you were sent to was not covered, by the earlier investigation, the Commission of Investigation into Mother and Baby Homes, you're also excluded from this scheme. So, I mean, like sometimes there's nearly no words to describe. You know, disappointing isn't even strong enough. And to think that people are going to be excluded like this is just 
I know they're scrapping the things. Well, that's it. It's a, another disappointment. Uh, it would seem uh, that it's been one disappointment after the other. Maybe you talk exactly. us uh, through the motion uh, to some degree because uh, what you're hoping to achieve is that far more, more people would be included in it, uh, which would obviously cost more, but you're also suggesting that the bill uh, should be paid for in part by the religious and indeed pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, so obviously the religious organisations had a key role. Now, I do think the state can't shy away from its responsibilities, but they, the religious organisations were also involved. They definitely need to pay part of the redress and also the pharmaceutical companies. And in the last few months, we have heard in particular from them in relation to releasing records, any records that they felt they might have to people who were affected by, um, you know, the, probably the most common one is the vaccine trials. So I think it's important that the state also go after them in relation to redress and money being paid and that they should play their part too. You know, there's been a lot of apologies uh, and and to be honest, I'm not trying to downplay apologies. They're an important part of it. But people really do want to see some action now and they want to see, you know, money being put in place that's that's badly needed. Um, You know, for example, the medical card situation too, there was talk of an enhanced medical card, and this would be particularly uh, relevant for women who were sent to the institution to are left often with very serious mm. physical injuries. Um, you know, you have to have spent six months in the institution to be entitled to that. Again, another thing that we don't think should be there. So what we want is we don't want those time frames. We want them gone so that regardless of what length of time you spent in an institution, that you'd be entitled to redress. Um, and we also want the religious institutions, the pharmaceutical companies to pay their fair part. Okay. Were, were all of the mother and baby homes run by the religious? Uh, the vast majority, mm. but there was the local authorities as well, which obviously that kind of falls into the state category. So local authorities played a role, in, mm. particularly in county homes. But, they, but, but quite often they'd have commissioned uh, religious orders uh, to yeah. run those county homes for them, wouldn't they? They would have had, yeah, and like there would have been kind of cooperation, let's say, between the local authority in some mm. instances, um, and some counties then would have would have had what they call county homes more mm. actually than than the mother and baby institutions. But just to make this point as well, Michael, that there, the department actually did a consultation process. Now they they got a, a group called Oak Consultancy to do this consultation process, and. Actually, the vast majority of survivors that I would have engaged with that, that engaged in that process did feel that they were being listened to. This would have been after the Commission of Investigation was published in January. And then the idea of this consultation was specifically to look at how they would do the redress scheme. And so people engaged in that in good faith, and it looks like they were just, that, that was all just left to one side. There was a 152-page report mm. that was never, nothing was ever done about has has any approach been made to the religious uh, to help compensate uh, people who were in their care for the neglect and uh, mistreatment of them? I know that the minister has said that he has written to the religious organisations. Now, I think myself, there's going to be a little bit more needs to be done. I, I don't see them writing back saying, you know, yeah, we're very sorry, here's a cheque. So I do mm. think that the state will need to be a lot stronger in relation to that and, and mm. in relation to pushing for that. Yeah, well, history would uh, leave us uh, cynical uh, if anybody is hoping for uh, any uh, huge um, um, gesture from the religious in, in terms of redress. I, I 
Yeah, I, I would mm. I would agree with your point in relation to that, and I and I believe that with some of the other schemes, you know, that money was left unpaid or they didn't pay the full amount, and, and that the amount agreed in the first place, a lot would argue, would have been quite small. So, like you know, we but we do need to we do really need to try and get this sorted and get it sorted correctly because. You know, obviously, in the first instance, people were failed when they were sent to these institutions. Um, but you know, think that there's it's constant failure, and, and I really think like the current state has has a lot to answer for if they continue this. You know, mm. we, we will will will, will this add to the hurt though your motion because it's going to be rejected, isn't it? Well, there's a chance that government will support it. No, um, not really, though, you know. You know, yeah, possibly not. There, there's, there's statements anyway later this week in the doll and on relation to the topic. So it would have been discussed this week in the doll. Um, I do understand that every time this is spoken about, it is difficult. However, I think we do obviously need to ensure that the right thing is being done, and we need to be fighting for that and advocating for that. And part of that role is raising it in the doll and speaking about it in the doll. And I think the vast majority of survivors we obviously would engage with and consult with, and they would, would. Um, would agree with that. Okay. All right, listen, we'll leave it there for now. We'll uh, hear much more, uh, I'm sure, across uh, the day when uh, the Dáil debates your motion. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Thanks very much. Kathleen Funchin, who's uh, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on children. Now, let me bring you some more of... Now let me bring you some more of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Margaret has been in touch and she says uh, that the majority of people who were in hospital from COVID COVID are the selfish unvaccinated who didn't care about anyone but themselves. A transplant patient had their surgery cancelled as there wasn't an ICU bed available for them because of these unvaccinated people uh, who are ending up clogging up the hospitals. Others are going to die because of their stupidity. The unvaxxed are keeping COVID alive. So why is 5 to 10% of a selfish minority allowed to hold the rest of us back, says Margaret. Thanks uh, for that, uh, Margaret. I think people are losing their patience, it would seem. Uh, Anne has been in touch with us as well today and she says bingo hall should be made to check for COVID certs. I know people coming into bingo and they aren't vaccinated and they are allowed in. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with that, Anne, in terms of the regulations. Uh, there's no onus on bingo, bingo halls uh, to ask for COVID certs and uh, there's no onus on them uh, to uh, exclude people uh, who have not been vaccinated. They can choose to do it. Uh, I think any business has uh, the right to choose to do it if uh, that's what they wanted to do. But uh, there is no onus on the regulations uh, from the government. Now, um, we're into the cold period and uh, the winter months ahead of us. And because we're mixing and because people are catching COVID, it's... Uh, because uh, we're on top of each other or um, too close to each other and uh, it's uh, back to what we would have known around this time of the year that uh, you'll see people with colds and flus as a result. I know uh, some people uh, who had a a cough recently and were very happy when they got their PCR test to find out that they uh, just had a a cold. Uh, I think the point is if you can get a cold, if you're that close to people, you can get COVID Uh, and that's something to think about uh, if you Uh, want to uh, look at it in that sense Uh, but uh, nobody wants a cold or a flu for that matter Uh, and as I say the viruses transmit uh, in pretty much the same ways. The flu 
is uh, very common, especially in this season. And usually the symptoms are fever, um, headache, muscle ache, uh, but also upper respiratory symptoms such as uh, sneezing and, and coughing. Uh, for COVID-19, uh, it's the same symptom, basically, but in addition, we have uh, specific symptoms such as anosmia, which is a lack of smell, and agosia, which is a lack of taste. And uh, many people, especially young people, have experienced this uh, additional and specific symptom for COVID-19. But sometimes uh, people have very few symptoms, whether it's for flu or for COVID-19. It really depends on your level of immunity. What is important to know, really, uh, for those two diseases is that uh, the prevention measure works for both of them. Uh, and especially washing hands, it's very important. Then ventilation of rooms, when you are uh, with, uh, cr in crowded rooms with a lot of people in particular, so open the window. Um, also wearing masks if you cannot open the window and maintain uh, physical distancing. And, and both diseases are really preventable if we apply those uh, measures. Mm. This is uh, Dr. Sylvie Briand, by the way, of the World Health Organization. And it seems if you don't want to get the flu, do the things that you know will stop you from getting COVID. So the group most at risk for uh, influenza are um, elderly, uh, people with underlying conditions such as uh, uh, chronic respiratory disease, cancer, uh, cardiovascular disease, um, and these are a similar group as for COVID-19. But for flu, in addition, uh, pregnant women and uh, very young children, infants, are also more at risk for severe disease. So is it safe to administer a flu vaccine and COVID-19 at the same time? Yes. Uh, we have now few studies that show that it is safe to have both vaccines at the same time. Uh, but of course, people need to check with their physician about their indication uh, to take uh, both vaccines. Very good. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Sylvie Briand, as I say, of the World Health Organization. And really, you don't want to get the flu. Uh, a couple of years ago, I suppose, you'd always come across somebody in the winter who had a, a cold or wasn't feeling well. And you'd hear people saying, oh, I'm dying of the flu. It wasn't the flu. And you know it wasn't the flu because they were up and about and talking to you. Uh, the flu is a, a very serious illness. And when you have the flu, you are no doubt that you have the flu because you'll be in bed and you'll be very sick and it can lead to very, very serious problems, including death, uh, which is why those in the vulnerable groups should be getting vaccinated. But what if you have a, a sniffle or a cold? Uh, or you're not sure if it's a sniffle or a cold uh, and you have a, a cough, let's say, and you're wondering, have I just got a cough or do I have COVID? Should I stay home? If you are vaccinated, it is possible to get breakthrough infection. So if you have symptoms, it's really important that you stay at home. You get your COVID test. Um, even if that's negative, that you stay at home until you're 48 hours symptom free. Because with the other respiratory viruses, there's still likelihood that you could transmit that. So it is really important, and I think it's 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 natural that we all think when we're vaccinated, you know, we cannot get it, but we actually there there is breakthrough infection now, and it's really important if we are symptomatic that we take all the precautions and stay home, um, along with all of the other non-pharmaceutical interventions that we have to take when we're well. 
So it's really important if we're going to a workplace, if we have children going to school, that we adhere to this strictly. So if anyone has respiratory symptoms, the first thing they do is stay home. And then if they need a COVID test, they get a COVID test. Even if their COVID test is negative and they have respiratory symptoms, you stay at home until you're 48 hours symptom-free. And that will really help us with transmission of all the respiratory viruses, preventing respiratory illnesses in all of the settings, schools, workplaces, and also our vulnerable populations. Because we do see, when we see a surge of infection in our community, it invariably affects our, our vulnerable populations, our nursing homes, our disability sector, our care homes, our people that are caring for vulnerable people. So all of these are really at increased risk when there's raised levels of transmission in our community. So it's really important that we adhere to all the basic measures, um, that we are vaccinated, but also we adhere to these basic principles of infection prevention control, um, that we continue to sanitise our hands, that we continue to wear our masks, ventilate in indoor settings, and if we have symptoms, we stay home. It's a, a bit of a drag, but keep on doing all those basic things. And if you have a, a cough or a sniffle, if you're showing any symptoms of what might be a cold or the flu or COVID, stay home. Uh, if you see somebody out coughing on the street, <laughs> I don't know if you want to say it to them, but they shouldn't be there. They should be at home. Anyway, uh, that, uh, by the way, was uh, Professor Bre Breda Smith, uh, who was speaking at the last Neffet press briefing. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. If you're living in Drogheda, you may be wondering, why are the helicopters back? I suppose people in Drogheda are used to living with uh, the drone of helicopters pretty much on an ongoing basis, at least for a period of time over the last couple of years, uh, would be a regular thing that there'd be helicopters over the town. And you knew it was either the Coast Guard or the guards for that matter but you turn on the radio now and there isn't much about the gangs or the guards or that sort of thing in fact uh, there isn't uh, really much uh, in the way of incidents uh, being reported so why are there so many helicopters flying over Drogheda? Let's find out Winchman Derek Everett of uh, the Rescue 116 team is on the line Good morning to you Derek and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning and there's very good reason for this I believe Indeed, Michael, good morning. Um, I'm sure as your listeners are well aware and um, they're well familiar, the, uh, the Coast Guard Rescue Helicopter has been a fixture over Drogheda for the last 20-odd years. Um, Rescue 116 is based in Dublin Airport and at the moment uh, we're going through a, a new phase of training in relation to the introduction of night vision goggles. These are safety enhancements for Coast Guard crews all over the country on the rescue helicopters and it enables us to do what we're doing at the moment but just do it a little bit safer. Okay. Um, and will hopefully uh, be safer in terms of the work that you do, which is life-saving work. Uh, a lot of the helicopters seem to be flying quite low. Is that right? Well, Drogheda and the Lord Stadium, which is where we land, um, is an integral part of the East Coast operations for Rescue 116. Uh, the stadium at the Lord's Hospital, or sorry, at, at the, Lord's, the Lord's Stadium itself, is one of the only landing sites on the East Coast of Ireland where the helicopter can operate in by both day and night. Um, it offers... Uh, the ability to deliver an integrated service with the National Ambulance Service and Garda Síochána, the Fire Service, and more importantly, uh, Our Lady of Lords Hospital. So that particular site in Boyle O'Reilly is very important to us because of its size, security, and it's also lit. So that's what the, our pilots and crews are practicing. They're practicing their approach and landing at night into that site. So, right. for example, if we take a, an injured fisherman off the east coast somewhere, we will always 
consider coming to Drada because we can land very close to the hospital and that site obviously offers that op- us the opportunity but our crews have to train up um, in order to do that now it's, it's, as I said to you before we're doing what we always do we're just doing it safer so flying with night vision goggles is, is a new experience for some of our crews okay. it takes the, a little bit getting used to this is a, a new tool uh, w- what do they do? The goggles. So basically, basically yeah. they turn night into day for us, um, right. or into a greener day, as they say. Mm. Um, and the reason why the crews are coming in so low and so often at particular periods of time is that your field of view while wearing night vision goggles is, is slightly less than it would be um, under normal conditions. And, you, you know, you have to learn a, a new set of techniques to ensure that you land correctly um, on the, and on the correct profile. So, for example... People living on the north side of town um, are on the approach path either into or out of the of the, the landing site there at the Lord's Hospital. Um, and we do understand and we're, we're, we're very conscious of the noise that the helicopter creates on the flight paths, um, particularly in the evening times. Where as the evenings get uh, darker sooner, we're endeavouring to try and get the crews up there um, on or around you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock when people aren't putting their kids to bed. Um, it's, it isn't every evening either. It's a, it's a, we do our training in blocks, so therefore... You know, we'll finish this week on, on Thursday and they won't be back until next week. And it's only one or two nights of those blocks. But we are very, very conscious that people are very concerned about the noise, disturbance, um, and the general disturbance of the helicopter. It's a, it's a very, it's a fairly big helicopter. It's the biggest civil helicopter in the country. Mm. And um, obviously people around Drogheda are well used to seeing it. We've been up and down into the Lord's Hospital as I said, over the last 20 mm. years and actually to some of the schools as well. We visited a lot of the schools around the area. So that's that's the the, the the reason. It's nothing sinister. There's nothing to worry about. Um, as I spoke to your uh, your researcher uh, yesterday on one of the calls, actually, oh, sorry, on one of the training missions two or three weeks ago, it was actually a live mission coming in from the Cooley Mountains with a lady who'd injured her leg. So that will continue as well. We'll always try and mm. use the Lord's Hospital wherever possible. Oh, and I think people appreciate uh, the Coast Guard helicopter service uh, and are very glad to see it. Uh, on one hand, but on the other hand, I suppose the sight of it leaves you worried uh, that there has been uh, some sort of tragedy. Uh, and uh, I think that's uh, one of the reasons uh, that it disturbs people, more so perhaps than the noise or any of the other factors. But I take it from what you said, you are actually getting complaints, are you? Well, we have. Um, I, I, you see, we, uh, as I said, we're integrated with everybody within the emergency service. So the local Coast Guard team in Drogheda would contact us and say, We've had people ringing us up uh, just wondering what's happening or complaining because the aircraft does come in and out on several approaches during the training trips at night and people would, yeah, you would get people would just be concerned with the noise. Mm. And we understand that. People are putting kids to bed maybe two or three weeks ago. We were up there around half a seven, eight o'clock uh, and it does disturb people for, for a period of time. Okay. Um, but look, we are conscious of that. It but will continue for the next couple of, uh, of, of months. Months, um, okay. Uh, mm, yeah, we'll mm. probably around probably end of January, February time. But we'll try, as I said, endeavour to get up there as early as possible in the evening when we are on a training flight, get it done, and then we'll head offshore or up to the mountains to continue on our training elsewhere. But that's the reason why we're in Drogheda in the evening times. That's the, uh, there's nothing sinister about it. It's training, and it's training to deliver that service into that particular site, which is, I said, unique for the entire east coast of Ireland. Mm. We can offer an integrated, uh, interoperable service with all of the other stakeholders, and um, particularly the ambulance service, and, and your neighbours next door in the fire station. We, we work very closely with those guys as well. Okay, vital training uh, with this uh, 
very uh, impressive tool by the sounds of it, these goggles and the vision uh, that uh, it gives uh, to your members uh, in terms of uh, landing the helicopters and so on. Uh, but uh, I should say to people that you've approached us uh, so that you could uh, tell people that, that this is what's going on. Uh, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We did it in Sligo as well because the, the hospital site in Sligo, you can actually land in the hospital in Sligo. Mm. So the crews up there decided to go and basically explain to the people of Sligo Town what they were doing and we thought it would be a good idea. We probably should have done it a few weeks earlier just to pre-warn people, but mm. but that's that's what it's about. We have four bases around the country for CHC Ireland, which operates the contract for the Coast Guard. And when we move to Waterford, we'll probably just replicate an interview just like this in Waterford, and the same in Shannon, to try and tell people, look, nothing to worry about. Uh, it's a little bit of training. It's a little bit of noise for a period of time. But it's a, it's a very important training for us, and it's a huge safety enhancement for what we already do. Okay, um, that's, well, that's the reason. It sounds like it's well worthwhile. I'm sure people will be patient and will bear with you as uh, you uh, go through this uh, training period. Uh, and thanks for telling us; uh, much appreciated. Thank you for joining us too. That's uh, winchman Derek Everett of Rescue One One Six, and uh, the helicopters will continue, as he said, over the next couple of months. Now let's go to Dundalk Circuit Court, where. Uh, 19-year-old man who killed a teenage friend when the uninsured car uh, they were driving collided with an oncoming vehicle was jailed for four years yesterday. Uh, Ruth O'Connell of LMFM's News uh, was in court and a very good morning to you Ruth and thanks uh, for joining us. The detail of this story is very disturbing. Absolutely. It's very harrowing and uh, the ripples in a pond are very uh, far reaching in in this case because uh, Barry Griffin Jr. who lost his life was a very, very popular young man. Um, He had been a passenger in the car driven by Brogan Kelly. A witness told Gardaí that he was on, um, people would be familiar with the Dundalk Green Ore Road. Um, The witness was in the Belurgan area near the turn off for the Blue Anchor and he told Gardaí he'd seen the the two vehicles um, travelling in convoy at speed. They overtook him. They were heading into D- towards Dundalk. Um, Brogan Kelly's uh, Volkswagen Passat undertook him and a Mercedes that he was uh, effectively racing um, overtook the man. So he was sandwiched, if you like, um, as the vehicles were passing him out. And um, as he then overtook the Mercedes and then crashed into an oncoming um, Ford Cougar that was travelling towards Carlingford, um, seriously injuring uh, the driver of that vehicle as well. They were driving at some speed, weren't they? They were, um, it's estimated 154, 155 kilometres per hour was the speed um, mm. involved uh, at the, the point of impact mm. and um, the court heard that uh, Brogan Kelly had tried to take his friend from the vehicle. He, he he had left the scene but not before trying to take his friend um, out of the car but two nurses were among those who arrived on the scene and they were trying to administer assistance and one of them stopped Brogan because I'm mm. sure most people are aware that uh, in, in, when you're dealing with casualties, you, you shouldn't try to attempt to remove them from from the wreckage of, of a, a vehicle like mm. that. Um, but unfortunately, the efforts to, to save uh, Barry Griffin Jr. were unsuccessful. And uh, we heard that the car involved had been fitted with cloned plates, mm. which uh, Judge O'Malley Costello 
you know, in her opinion, it indicated an element of premeditation in terms of the manner of yeah. the driving. It's hard to believe, you know, such young boys um, driving at that speed. Uh, obviously, not experienced drivers. Uh, it's not possible to build up uh, enough experience at that age uh, to be able to drive at that speed. 155 kilometres. Uh, on a, a, an ordinary road as such and, and, without, and, a busy, and a busy road and a busy, and, without you know, seatbelts as well though Ruth neither of them were wearing seatbelts no yeah, God it really is uh, dreadful and it led to that loss of life uh, Brogan Kelly was uh, sentenced yesterday uh, but uh, there was another part of this which uh, he fled the scene he did. He actually, the, the car that he was racing, um, the driver of the Mercedes, um, he left the scene in the Mercedes with that driver and they went back to um, South Armagh and um, that, uh, his friend's mother, when she heard what had happened, she, she encouraged him to, to get in touch with his dad and then he presented himself at the Dundalk Garda station and had cooperated with the investigation after that point. Mm. It's just tragic. Uh, and uh, and I should say he'd no yeah. previous convictions. Yeah, 19 years of age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, actually, he was 17 at the, at time, the time and, and yeah. a month yeah. later had turned yeah. 18. Yes. Yeah, but in court yesterday at 19 years of age, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. he, he? He must have been petrified himself. Well, I, I can't speak to yeah, that, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah. he he remained silent in court. But right, certainly, yeah. the um, you know, it, it was full. It, um, it was accepted that he has been, you know, mm. um, very badly affected by what he's done, and he has full appreciation of uh, the mm. impact that um, the loss of Barry Griffin's life has had on Barry's family. Yeah, and of course, that is uh, the most significant part of uh, that story, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, that uh, Barry Griffin. Uh, will be remembered uh, by his family and friends uh, for some time, but in terrible, tragic circumstances. A dreadful story all round. Uh, Ruth, uh, thanks uh, for giving us the details of uh, that story. That's uh, Ruth O'Connell. Michael Reed on LMFM. And now, as is usual around this time on a Tuesday, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating uh, that uh, perhaps you can assist with. And Garda Kate Patterson of uh, the Community Policing Unit with Dundalk Garda Station joins us uh, for this week's report. Good morning to you. Thanks indeed morning, for Michael. joining us. Uh, and we're going to begin with a- an appeal for information if anybody can help to identify a man who was uh, found dead in 1991, uh, some 30 years ago. That's correct, Michael. So um, this incident was featured on Crime Call last night. The Guardian Trim were seeking to identify a male who was found deceased in the Bracetown area in County Maze on the 18th of April 1991. So it was 30 years ago since this man was found and unfortunately, despite all the efforts by Angarda Shikana, um, his identity his identity is still unknown to us. Um, at the time of his death, this male was believed to have been between 45 and 55 years of age. He was 5 foot 5 inches in height, had a medium build, light brown hair, which we believe was receding at the sides a little bit. Um, a post-mortem was conducted on the male and it was realised that he had some dental work carried out. Um, then following a cold case review in April of this year, um, the male's body was exhumed and we believe that this male may have had some type of issue with his right knee um, and this injury could have caused him to have walked with a limp or to look like he walked in some type of pain when he was walking. Right. Um, now, what we do believe is that this male might have travelled from the UK to the Bracetown area in the week before his death 
Um, we also think he might have been sleeping rough just in the week before his passing. We're keeping an open mind, but we do believe it's possible that he may have had some childhood or some family connection to the area. Mm. Um, as witness accounts at the time placed him at a GAA match in the area on the night before his death. Um, just in, in relation to what he was wearing on the day, his clothing was quite distinctive. He had a herringbone tweed jacket on it, um, on him, and this jacket was labelled Caldi Madrid. Um, the gentleman was wearing a white shirt under this blazer. He had size 8 boots, and a St. Christopher's medal was found in his pocket. Okay. Um, now, a portrait of this male and a photograph of his jacket are available to view on any of the Garda Shikana social pages on our website, Facebook page, Twitter page. And I just see on your own Instagram page this morning, you also have shared the artist's impression of what we believe he looks like. Okay. Um, it's a long happen- time ago, of course, uh, but uh, perhaps somebody could help to identify the man. And you'd like to hear from them at Trim Garda Station or the confidential line, one eight hundred treble six treble one. Yeah, and, and just to stress, mm. it's not a criminal investigation in any way whatsoever. The sole purpose is to identify this yeah. man and to notify his family. Sure thing. It's um, a mystery, uh, and I'm sure his family would uh, appreciate it if anybody does have any information that would assist the Gardaí. Now, uh, we'll go to Castle Bellingham, where Cardi are investigating a burglary that occurred on Wednesday of last week. Yeah, so this burglary occurred in the early hours of Wednesday morning. Um, the Guardian RD are investigating this. This burglary resulted um, in the theft of a safe which contained approximately €10,000 worth of cash. Um, the burglary, as I said, occurred in the early hours of the morning, in a Wednesday morning. A wedding was taking place on the Tuesday evening. And just as this wedding was finishing up, a lone man entered the property. He hid in a side room while the wedding was finishing and once the wedding had finished he made his way into an office and removed the safe and um, he left the scene on a bike and headed towards Anagassan so in the early hours of Wednesday morning obviously this site wouldn't be something very familiar so if anybody saw a male cycling appearing to be carrying something in the early hours of November the 10th we'd ask you please to contact RD Garda Station. Okay, to Summer Hill, where Garda are investigating a separate burglary. That's right. So this burglary um, occurred on Saturday the 13th of November at approximately 5 to 8 in the evening. It occurred in the Curridu area of Summer Hill. Um, and we asked anybody that may have been in the area at the time and noticed anything suspicious to please contact Trim Garda Station. Okay, a val- valuable bicycle frame uh, to report on next. Uh, this was uh, stolen in uh, Trim. That's right. So this was stolen between November the 14th and November the 17th in Kilmesson. It's quite a distinctive bike. It's an orange Carrera Abyss Junior Hybrid, a 24-inch frame bike, which was taken um, from Festive Crescent in Kilmesson, so if anybody noticed in the area anything suspicious happening that evening or in between those dates, or if indeed you do see this bike up for sale on something like um, any of the online pages, please let us know as we would love to get it back to its rightful owner. Okay, next to a very successful operation, almost €2 million euro worth of cannabis seized. That's right. So this is a major drug seizure um, and... A search was conducted in the Rats Eye area, um, which w- organised by Gardaí from the National Drugs Unit, the Organised Crime Unit, 
the needs divisional drugs unit and revenue um, and during the course of the search the discovery of 97 kilograms of cannabis herb um, was found. So Gardy carried out this search as part of an ongoing investigation which is targeting persons in the area believed to be involved in organised crime. Um, at the scene of the incident, two males were arrested, a 59-year-old male and a 61-year-old male. So both males were detained at Ashburn Garda Station pursuant to Section 2 of the Criminal Justice Very Drug good. Trafficking. OK, unfortunately our time has run out, but thank you indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. With thanks today to Garda Kate Patterson of the Community Policing Unit with Dundalk Garda Station. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.